0: Good morning, everyone. I'm so grateful that you're here. I want to welcome our Missouri City, our Darrington, and our Sugarland campuses. Together, we are one church, and we're so grateful that you have come to be a part of this. I want to welcome all of our guests, all from the southwest Houston area and around Houston and around Texas and literally around the world. It is our joy to be with you in this service this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. There is one consistent theme through all of history, all the generations of history. One consistent theme of every country, every ethnicity, and every generation in history. All you have to do is go back through all the written literature as far back as you can go and you will see it. Every single generation, every country, every ethnicity. And that one consistent theme is prejudice. Yeah, it's prejudice. It is trying to build a stereotype of some other group of people to push them down so that those individuals who do it can feel better about themselves. It is amazing that this has been a part of human history and and it is so evil and it is so wrong. I will tell you where it is not it is not in heaven. One day we get to heaven, we'll never uh, find that again. We'll never experience that again in our life. And one place where it should not be. It should not be a part of the people of God. It should not be a part of any church. God intended every church to be a taste of heaven for us to rise above that. So wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? As soon as church starts, As soon as in the first century church begins, there is prejudice in that church. And James, who writes the book of James in the New Testament, takes it on in chapter 2 of James. And he calls it out. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. I mentioned to you last week that there's really four generations that are uh, uh, represented in our church. There's the boomers or the, the older, and they're two different groups of boomers. And then there is the Gen X, the X generation is the next one. And then there is the Y generation, we call them the millennials. And then there are the Zers, the Zesters, those who are 10 to 25, the Z generation. I feel sorry for the next one coming because we're out of letters. So I don't know what they're going to do or even be called. If they would have talked to me before they started using letters, I would have told them, start with A. But no, that's not what happened. I want you to know that the last two generations, the two youngest generations, have not left God. They've not left Christianity. They've left fake Christianity. And one of the problems that they have with Christianity today is how Christians treat Christians and how Christians treat others who are not in their church. What turns them off is prejudice. It's bigotry. And they're wondering why in the world when we go to a church that we see this in that church. They hate it. And I'm going to tell you something else. God hates it too. So listen to what James says in James chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, well, you can stand over there, or you can sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So what does James teaching us as we get started in the passage? Well, the first thing is that prejudice is not even to be a part of the life of a Christ follower. Listen to what he says, James chapter two, verse one. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? The good news translation puts it this way. Never treat anybody in a different way according to their outward appearance. So what are those areas of discrimination, of prejudice that people use today? Well one has to do with appearance and that's what the Good News translation is talking about, outward appearance. You look different than me. You talk differently than I do. Your accent is different than mine. And because your appearance is different, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't even like you. I will make jokes about you. I'll laugh about you. I will push you away because of your appearance. The second one is race. Because the color of your skin, because the shade of your skin is different from mine, I don't want anything to do with you. I hate you. I will say jokes about you, I will, I will uh, laugh about you, I'll say things about you, I'll find somebody who is of your skin color and I will stereotype everybody of your skin color to be like this negative example. I'll treat you wrong because you are of a different race than me. The third one is affluence. I don't like you because you've got more money in your bank account than I do. And because of that, I don't like you. I don't like you because you've got less money in your bank account than I do. I'm not going to be around you at all. This is actually the example that James uses. It doesn't mean that the things that James is saying here is all only about affluence. It is about any form of bigotry, any form of prejudice, but he uses one as the example. And notice what he says in James chapter 2, verse 2. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you stand over there in the corner somewhere. Or better yet, why don't you sit on the floor? Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are being guided by evil motives? So the story is this. Two guys come First-time visitors. We know that they're first-time visitors because the truth is they don't know where to sit in the, in the service. So they drive in and they go to the first-time visitor parking, but all those spaces have been taken up by the members so they don't have any space to park. So they go further away, maybe a mile away, and they park and they come. And the first one that comes in is Rich. And how do we know it? Because he's got rich clothing and he's got jewelry and he it's just obvious he's rich and when he comes in the usher says oh we are so glad to have you mr rich man to come into our church in fact i'll tell you what i'm going to do i'm going to seat you in the front row so everybody in the church can see we got a rich man here today then in comes the second guy but he's poor how do we know he's poor? Because he's got holes in his blue jeans. Now what he doesn't know if he, is if he will just hang on to those blue jeans for 2,000 more years, he'll be styling. But at the moment, those holes in the blue jeans say you are a poor man. You know what they say to him? Won't you go and stand over in the corner? We don't even want you to get our seats dirty. Or won't you sit on the floor? The ultimate put down decades ago in churches around the United States that were very aggressive and evangelical and evangelistic many many of them had bus ministries and by bus ministries what we meant we mean, what I mean is that they had a ministry where they would go and pick up little children Who's parents were not going to come to church and and these kids would never be in Sunday school and so the bus captain would go knock on literally every door in a neighborhood and when they came to the door he'd present his credentials that the church had given him proving that he is from that church, he is a bus captain and he said to them look I've got a bus, I'm filling it up with kids and I would love to come by and, and have your two kids ride or your three kids ride my bus, I'll take them to the church, they'll have Sunday school and they'll have worship and then I'll bring them right back home now nobody would do that today but in that day it was safe and so yeah sure come and get my kids and they came by the thousands and the tens of thousands all over the country and many of those are Christ followers today I'm so grateful for what that bus ministry did in touching the lives of these young kids Well, one of those churches that did that was First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. And a new pastor arrived at that church. His name was Jack Hiles, a young guy. And he came and he just loved the Lord as a godly man. He wanted to reach as many people as he could reach with the gospel of Christ. And they started a bus ministry. And I'm telling you, they got going, and we were bringing hundreds of these little kids. And these kids were coming from every race, you can imagine, and they were coming from mostly poor families, and many of them didn't have shoes on. And after a few months, some of, not all of, but some of the church leaders came to the pastor and said, Jack, we're not liking this. We're not liking all these little kids of different races and all these poor kids, and some of them don't even have shoes on. We don't like them coming here. So let me tell you, it's either the children go or we go, and if we go, our money goes with us. Now I'm going to tell you, by the end of 12 months, they had all new church leaders in that church. And I want to tell you why, because Jack Hiles could not be bought. And they went after these little kids and they they led so many of these kids to Jesus Christ. And these kids began to change and their parents began to come and their parents got saved and, and people from all over the city started coming. And it wasn't long until that one church turned Hammond, Indiana upside down. And I want to tell you why they did. Because they believed that the call of God for a church is to love and lead all people, all people, to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. I realize that many of you that are listening today have never been physically to one of the buildings at Sugar Creek, and you don't really know us. There's a lot about us I could tell you. We don't have time for that today, but there's one thing I want to tell you, and that is that Sugar Creek Baptist Church is probably one of the top five churches in the United States that is as ethnically diverse as our church. We have people in our church from ninety different countries, seventy different languages and in fact one day when you do come to Sugar Creek in the flesh You're going to be stunned because you're going to walk into what looks like the United Nations to you. But actually, it just looks like heaven. It's a taste of heaven. I want you to know what has happened in our church. Our church made the decision that God had called us with this purpose. And members, would you say this purpose with me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ and it has transformed our church. James says there are three problems with favoritism. One, prejudice is against everything it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. James chapter 2 verse 1, my brother do not hold your faith In our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. I want you to notice that word faith. Circle that word. That word faith does not mean to believe. It it means a body of truth. What is your faith? What is it that, what's the body of truth that you believe in? The word of God. And what he is saying is this. Prejudice and faith. Prejudice and God's word are incompatible. Why? Because we are the family of God. We're to be like Jesus. Jesus life change in Christ. Jesus was called the friend of sinners. He was called the friend of sinners because Jesus loved and was respectful of every person. He was called in John chapter 1 and verse 14, full of grace and truth. This is who Jesus is, full of grace and truth. He never compromised his Father's word, never, never even an iota. But he also never compromised love and grace. Second of all, prejudice doesn't make sense for believers, is what James is saying. In James chapter 2, verse 5 to 7, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world To be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those that love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name with which you've been called? Now, James is not saying that all rich people are saved and all poor people are lost. All rich people are good and all poor people are bad. That's not what he is saying. He is saying this is what's happening in first century. It was the Roman elites that were feeding them to to the lions. It was the Roman elite that were having them arrested. Do you not understand what's going on, James said? And most of those people that were coming to faith in Christ were poor, And many of them were slaves. James says, what are you doing? This doesn't even make sense. And the third thing is this. Prejudice is a direct violation of the love of God. James chapter 2 verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, then you're doing well. It's called the royal law. And why is it called the royal law? The royal law is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Both of these phrases, both of these statements, mean exactly the same thing. They're called the royal law because the truth is, if we just love... If we just treat people the way we want to be treated, if we we just do unto others as we'd have them do to us, if we act this way, we will be obeying every single law that God made of how one person should treat another person. It all boils down to love. And that is why in James chapter 5 verse 14, he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor, as yourself. If we're being prejudiced against somebody else, we are disobeying what God has told us to do. And some might say, well, I know that I am prejudiced against other people, but I do a whole lot of other good things for other people, so there's only one thing I'm leaving out. So it must be all right. Well, listen to then what James says in chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law's transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For who said, do not commit adultery also said, do not murder. So if you don't commit adultery but your murder you are still a lawbreaker so what is he saying well the first thing he's saying is this don't pick and choose which commandments of god you're going to obey and which ones you will ignore god holds us accountable to love and one day we'll stand before that holy god i have heard this passage explained this way. All sins are equally wrong. There is no one sin that is more wrong than the other. Well, yes and no. You see, in the context of the passage, what James is saying is every sin against another human being is a violation of the royal law of love. So yes, you're right about that. But not all sins have equal impact. All sins are a violation of the royal law of love, but not all sins have the same impact. Let me give you an example. Let's say somebody comes to me and says, Mark, I'm going to tell you, I'm either going to be rude to you or I'm going to murder you. Which one do you choose? Well, it's going to always be door number one. Murdering someone and being rude to someone are both equally a violation of the law of love. But they don't have the same impact. So I just wanted to chase a rabbit for a second and make sure I clarified what the Bible is actually saying. James chapter 1 verse 12 says it this way, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law with, that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will not be shown to anyone who's been merciful. He uses a double negative and what he is saying in the verse is this, mercy triumphs over judgment. Love treats people with mercy And one day, we will give an account to God. And he will hold us accountable for our actions. As we've been merciful to others, he will show that same mercy to us. So my question is this. How do you treat people who are different from you? We're in a church that's very ethnically diverse. And here's what I've discovered in the process of all of this. Pretty much everybody is the same. They look differently. They have different languages. They dress differently. They have different ideas and different opinions about things. But pretty much, pretty much people are the same. Pretty much everybody wants to be treated respectfully. Pretty much everyone wants opportunity to be able to be all they can be. Pretty much everyone wants their children to grow up and come to know and love Jesus. And they want their children to be treated respectfully. And they want their children to be able to have opportunity to be all they can be. Pretty much all of us are the same. There's one more thing I want to mention to you, and it's this. The key to overcoming prejudice is deciding to love everyone even if they are different from you. There was a study that was done not that long ago of churches, and here's what they discovered in the study. The number one factor of churches reaching the unsaved around them is how loving they are toward each other and toward people that they don't know. Inwardly focused churches, it's just about us. We don't care about anybody else. We're not going to reach out to anybody. Inwardly focused churches die, and they should outwardly focused churches thrive because they're doing the Great Commission. I've noticed that mean churches tend to die, and they should. But loving churches thrive because the truth is this. It's love that reaches people. So here's what I want to say to everybody that's listening to me. We do not care what color your skin is. We don't care what your ethnicity is. We don't care what your country of origin is. We don't care uh, how you dress. We don't care what your bank account is. We only care are you breathing. And if you're still breathing, you are welcome at Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And You know what we're going to do? We're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. We want you to come to know Christ just like we've come to know Christ and we want you to grow and mature in your faith with Christ just like we're striving to grow in our faith with Christ. And you're going to notice this about Sugar Creek. We will never compromise the word of God. Not ever, not ever, not ever. But we will also never compromise the royal law of love because God has called us to that. And you know what? We can do both. Jesus did, and the Bible tells us we're to be like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Romans chapter 15 and verse 7 says, Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. I want to end with this uh, last illustration. Dr. James Eaves was one of my professors at Southwestern Seminary in my master's degree, and I love Dr. Eaves. He was such a godly man and uh, what a great teacher. He passed away five years ago at the age of 90, just a godly man. He told us a story of what happened one day in his church. And I've shared this story with Sugar Creek years and years ago, but I want to do it again because it really fits this moment and what we're talking about today. Dr. Eve shared with us one day that while he was pastoring that church in West Texas, that a little girl came to know Jesus as her Savior in vacation Bible school and she was going to be baptized on a particular Sunday. Her mother was a well-known woman of the street in that city. And he didn't know if she was going to come and watch her daughter be baptized or not, but he wondered what would happen. She intended to come, he said, to the church and slip in the back Said on the back row when the baptism was over, slip out. But when she came through the door, two women in the church saw her and recognized her and went immediately to her. And both of them said to her, we're so glad you're here. Your little girl's going to be baptized today and we're so excited. And we would love it if you'd come and sit with us. We want to go up close because we want to make sure you can see everything When your sweet little girl was baptized, she was stunned. The woman was stunned. She went and sat with the two women up front. And when her daughter was baptized, she had tears in her eyes. And she looked at the two other women. They had tears in their eyes. And they hugged her. And they told her how proud they were of her and her little girl. She stayed, she heard the sermon, and for the first time in her life she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you, before she heard the gospel from Dr. Eves, she had already witnessed the gospel of these two women who acted like Jesus. And that woman accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior that day, and her life was radically changed. She was never the same again. And it happened Because of two ladies who chose to love. See, I already know my church. I've been here for 17 years. And I know that that is Sugar Creek Baptist Church from beginning to end. Most loving group of people. How in the world I get to be the pastor of Sugar Creek, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I love you. For a whole lot of different reasons. But one of those is because of what I just talked about. It's who you are, and I'm so proud of you. Let's be that kind of church. Let's let God keep using us and see the power of God and his anointing be poured all over Sugar Creek Baptist Church let's pray together father we come to you today and father we know that there are people that are listening right now that have never accepted Jesus as their Savior they've never invited Jesus into their heart but oh God today they could and we ask that you would move in hearts right now to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ to be willing to say Lord I Ask your forgiveness of my sin. I recognize the truth about my sin. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the grave. And by faith, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Oh, Father, thank you that many that are listening right now in this broadcast have prayed and are praying that very thing to receive Jesus into their heart. Father, I pray for all of us that, Father, you would bless us, protect us. You would use us to make a difference in the lives of others, to help people that need food, to help people around us that need Jesus. And, Father, keep using this church and pour your love among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for those of you who want to know Jesus as Savior, maybe you prayed that prayer. Maybe you want to talk to a pastor. We would love for you to do it. We'd like you to call our church office right now and leave a message. 281-242-2858. Call our church office. A pastor will call you today. And we want to spend some time with you and help you with that decision. Now, Sugar Creek... We've got a purpose. Would you say it with me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. God bless you. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you back next Sunday.